Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly Women's Agenda podcast. In today's episode, we have a number of firsts to share. There have been some big ones over the past week. Plus, we dive into a conversation on imposter syndrome and some of the latest ideas around that. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 20th of July, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. You came to visit us in Sydney over earlier on in the week. Yeah, you didn't really turn on some good weather for me, I have to say. No, it was like the one day of the past. Oh, yeah, the like one a- day. The <laughs> one day. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ange, let's jump to the wins for the week. Um, And there have been quite a few this week, but let's go with yours first. Yeah, I mean, the obvious one to pull out here would be that Australia's next Reserve Bank Governor will be Michelle Bullock, so the first woman in the job. She will take office in September. And as we know that this is quite a tumultuous time for the bank, um, she ends. Uh, she will end Philip Lowe's time in the role. Uh, I think he actually wanted to stay in the role, but uh, that probably was never going to happen, at least not under the current government. And um, her being appointed also ends much speculation of course, regarding who would land that job. Um, so Michelle Bullock, from, from what we know, I mean, I haven't uh, heard or dived into too many speeches from her. She gave kind of a few limited comments uh, last Friday when the appointment was made. What we do know is that she obviously has all the experience of the role. She's been there for almost four decades. It's um quite in- incredible to, to think. So she, she pretty much went there. She's been there for that long. She was appointed deputy. So there is this argument that it's sort of continuing along the same line, but that's not necessarily true. I think that this does actually bring some continuity into what's happening with the RBA. We're also bringing in a fresh voice, certainly a, a woman, which is is great to see. She is the ninth governor, so it's taken a while for for that to happen. Uh, and also, uh, Michelle Bullock has uh, led much of the review and was um, quite uh, instrumental in in looking at the the changes to bring on board at the RBA. So she will get to kind of get stuck into that work. And I won't say anything about the glass cliff here. <laughs> There isn't one. It's a perfect set of circumstances for her. She's she's well, golden. She's golden. Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, that, that's what some people are saying as well. It would be great for her that she can come in and be the good cop after somewhat mm. not so uh, good cop. <laughs> somewhat not good, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Look, I really hope it isn't a glass cliff situation. I do think she's got her work cut out for her, but clearly she is incredibly qualified and, um, you know, there, there really doesn't seem to have been anyone else that would have been uh, more qualified to take on that position. So, you know, Jim Chalmers at a joint news conference last week said that she was an astounding, outstanding economist but also an accomplished and respected leader. Yeah. So, Tala, on to your win. Give us something different, maybe something international. My win my win's maybe a little bit um, lighter. <laughs> uh, it was. It really did give me the giggles this week. I really enjoyed it, like thoroughly enjoyed it. So Fox anchor Jesse Waters, who has just taken over from probably the most controversial of all uh, news anchors of all time, Tucker Carlson, was debuting uh, on his on that program 
this week and his Democrat voting mum called in and I imagine, look, producers clearly knew that and and facilitated his mum ringing in, but it is very clear that she goes off script a little bit um, to what they may have discussed with her uh, because you can see Jesse Waters visibly kind of recoiling and cringing throughout the spiel that his mum gives him and she absolutely schools him, which is unreal. So she basically tells her son, you know, that she's proud of him. Um, she calls him honey bun, which is amazing. Um, but she also says, look, do not tumble into any conspiracy rabbit holes. Um, we don't want you to lose your job. We want no lawsuits. And and she, she goes on further to um, instruct him not to do any harm. And my favourite of her advice was that she instructed the conservative news channel to take less interest in other people's bodies Mm. um, and uh, stop with the Biden bashing. And it just went on. I mean, I think it was like a good minute 30 that she's, she was on air um, just really getting in, getting stuck into her son. And um, as I said, you can just see him looking so uncomfortable, Uh, but it does beg the question. I mean, like how does someone with obviously quite a well-rounded, grounded view of the world, <laughs> produce Spawn that will then go on to take on Tucker Carlson's gig. And look, get it, it's probably a very cushy gig. He's probably getting paid through the roof. But yeah, it doesn't seem like ethics are his strong suit. No, I mean, he's got quite the uh, record for, I mean, homophobic comments, transphobic comments, racist comments. Um, I'm flicking through some of his more notable segments and one includes saying that we should uh, stigmatise homeless people. Um, Another moment where he Mm. uh, hosted somebody who had held up a swastika sign at a school board meeting where he shared his anti-trans hate and that guy got to go on a panel uh, with uh, Jesse Waters. So um, it was sort of this idea that, you know, Jesse Waters might come in and replace uh, Tucker Carlson in terms of, you know, maybe being a little bit more uh, subtle or something, I guess, um, you know, a little maybe mm. less racist or something, if that's such a thing. But uh, And maybe that was their strategy in getting his mum to call in. But then it, I think what it did was just like really underscore how fucked up it is that his mum is thinking this way and that he is, you know, going out and spouting divisive crap every single day. Yeah, like I reckon a bit of a setup, but uh, at the same time, like she had those, I can't remember the exact words, but like those sort of power, you know, do no harm sort of ideas. So, you know, she's sensing it that there is harm that happens (laughs) um, from, you know, spouting certain viewpoints and um, I guess she doesn't want her son to be part of that. But at the same time, she also made the point that she's very, very proud of him. So... Um, well, I guess you'd kind of like have to maintain that line, right? It's like if your kid murders someone, you probably still got to love them, but maybe not pride. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the line was more we're very proud of what you've achieved. So maybe you don't have to like what your kid achieves to be proud of it, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. My, my kids mm. aren't at the point of like achieving things that like. Becoming Fox News anchor. <laughs> That, you know, I won't particularly like. I mean, my son can achieve a lot on Minecraft, which is, uh, you know, I might prefer <laughs> he was achieving elsewhere. 
<laughs> but um, uh, yeah, hard anyway. to not be proud of that. So the first key story that we will discuss for this week. So FIFA Women's World Cup starts today. In case you didn't notice, um, it'd be pretty hard not to notice. So you'll likely know the outcome of the Ireland versus Australia match by the time you listen to this. So we're not going to be sharing any spoilers there. But the World Cup has raised the conversation about equal pay. The Matildas earlier this week delivered a really powerful campaign calling for equal pay and they've highlighted how, you know, they were able to achieve that with the Socceroos in Australia but not on the world stage and they've really put that call out to FIFA to equal pay for for, for men and women's World Cups where women are taking a quarter of the prize money that the men took just last year. Uh, So meanwhile, just the uh, FIFA boss just overnight – this guy has some really good comments. Like he, he's he's known for these like crazy comments that come out of nowhere. That um, just oh, it, it's just quite bizarre. Anyway, so FIFA uh, president uh, Gianni Infantino. So he basically described himself as you know just happy with everything on the eve of the Women's World Cup, just as he was asked about <laughs> the uh, equal pay question. Um, so he just kind of put out this line that um, you know money is always tricky. It's a bit of a sensitive issue, but you know he'd prefer to discuss the positives right now. Isn't it great? World Cup starting. Everyone's excited. So nothing to see here. Um, so. <laughs> That classic kind of idea, you know, success is hard. Now's not the time because when everyone's looking, now is not the time. <laughs> yeah. I love his comments. I just love his comments so much. I mean, they're horrendous, but I love them in that, like, he's, he's like, I'm happy with everything. I love everyone. <laughs> <That's so laughs> I love everyone. <laughs> well, I mean, look, if Gianni's happy, I know. Why is anyone why is anyone caring? You know? Gianni is happy. He's getting paid well. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Um they were truly, yeah. truly bizarre <laughs> comments. And it, look, I mean, I'm sure he has he's meritorious in his role in other regards, but like surely being a spokesperson for these kind of things is pretty critical like if you can't actually communicate these issues and even if you don't agree with equal pay which I mean there's clearly something wrong with you if you don't agree with equal pay or what the Matildas are trying to appeal for but even if you don't like surely you learn to communicate that more sensitively and actually understand the nuance of the argument and talk to it a bit like it's just so weird this (laughs) response Mm. it's just it like is yeah, it really is just so strange. It's uh, There's no other word for it except that. So basically, you know, there's been 1.4 million tickets sold for the Women's World Cup. It's a, it's a record. This is expected to be the, the biggest women's sporting uh, moment in history. Um, they're expecting a global audience of $2 billion. And, like, just it's not the time to dismiss this conversation. And he has said that, oh, we've got ambitions to get there by 2027, but there's no concrete plan to make it happen. And it's sort of... I'm writing about this at the moment. I'm kind of comparing it to like so often we hear like in the corporate world where you'll just sort of announce these, um, announce, you know, we're going to work towards equal pay or we're, we're, we're going to work towards uh, 50-50 split on key leadership positions, things like that. But then they might have some things like a mentoring program or something that, you know, basically creates more work for women along the way, but nothing in concrete that is like putting real money on the table <laughs> that says this is how we are going to make it happen. Yeah. And when you look at the... um 
looking at the history of how like FIFA have negotiated the deals around sponsorships and broadcast rights in the past, they've often just like offered the women's cup as this little like freebie on the side. Like, oh yeah, if you get the men's one, we're going to chuck in the women's one as a bonus. So like that's where it's been. And I think the 2018 time was, a, you know, the, sorry, this is like now they're saying that it's actually going, it's going to break even and that it's, it's making its own way now. Um, so there are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in there. He's saying it's making around half a billion dollars. So we're looking at what a, a fifth of that going to the players, um, which mm. is a quarter of what was going to the men's players just what less than a year ago. So I mean, I, I think that now is the time to talk about equal pay, and um, maybe you know I, I respect that. Obviously, they need to get the broadcast rights and they need to get the uh, they they need to get the sponsors on board as well. And um, but he could be ramping that up a little bit more. As, as well right now and um, he, he's made yeah. some kind of suggestions around it saying that they want to um, I think some of the negotiations in Europe for this year they, they had threatened like a blackout if they couldn't get more um, money from some of the broadcast deals happening from some of the European countries and the way that they've negotiated is that they've um, some of those networks there have promised to uh, do a more long-term approach to broadcasting women's sport of at least I think it's like an hour a week of women's football which I guess is something, but as we're seeing now, we discussed this last week mm. with like the World Cup, we're only going to get 25% of the games on free-to-air television. The rest you'll have to sign up for a subscription mm. service to access, whereas you could get 100% of the games on free-to-air last year for the Men's World Cup. So, yes, we do need those long-term commitments that people will actually be seeing the games. We need these commitments to equal pay. That's how you're going to get the best athletes and the best, ultimately the best entertainment and the best to come out of sport. And we just need to mm. have the conversations now when the spotlight's on. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about, as a segue, that French ad that yes. went viral this week? Tell us well. about the French ad. Well, it was, I watched it yesterday. I was probably pretty late to the party, mm. but I actually like sat at my desk and just felt chills watching it because I think it is such a powerful demonstration of what's going on and how we perceive, um, you know, like there's still this kind of. Uh, perception around the women and, and men's games. So the ad um, launched two weeks ago by Orange um, and it begins with a compilation of what seems to be the highlights of the men's national soccer team. Um, and I think they're called Le Bleu, although my French is not particularly great, so I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, along with like, you know, the, the passionate commentary and the cheers from the crowd and it's just, you know, so stirring Um and at, at the same time, you're kind of thinking, like, why are they showing us footage of men's game while we're about to enter the Women's World Cup? Mm. Um, but halfway through the video, a message appears on the screen and it says, only Le Bleu gives us these emotions, it reads. And but and then it says, but it, it is not them that you've just seen. And then it shows how they have basically superimposed the men's faces onto the mm. female athlete's body. Um, and that all of the footage and all of the feats were achieved by female footballers um, for the the French national women's team. Um, and I guess I think it, I, I just think it did something so different and so powerful. I don't think I'm the only one to to think that, obviously, because it has been getting so much attention and really did go viral across social media. But the final message of the video reads, at Orange, when we support Le Bleu, we support... <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to do this because oh, no. for me it reads... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm really sorry for anyone who's bilingual listening to this. Yeah. I can't do it because it just, to me, it reads exactly the same. So it's going to be, I don't know how to translate that into anything else. <laughs> what? Do you know? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so the ad, I'm not going to try and speak French because we've established in, uh, in this conversation that I cannot speak French. Um, but the ad ends with the line at Orange, when they support the men's game, they support the women's game um, mm. and the women's team. And the ad's already had well over 4 million views on YouTube and hundreds of thousands more on other social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. And it was just really special. So go and look at it. There have been some, I think there have been some really good ads around the World Cup so far. But yes, I think that that is perhaps the best ad I've ever seen in anything really yeah so it was, it was very good and I have to say that it was um credit to my my partner who actually shared it with me like a few days ago I think before we even did anything on it but um and he was like this is your top story today and like he was so captivated by it and he loved it and um of course I uh I, I want to say that it, it was a dm through twitter that's <laughs> that's great that we're sharing things that way but uh obviously because he'd seen it on twitter and I didn't actually see it at that point so anyway it is a really great ad go and watch it I don't think that the uh, I mean nothing against Tyler but I don't know that like speaking out loud makes clear the powerful message that it sends <laughs> clearly one of those things that you really have to um uh to to, to see to to get the full kind of impact and power from luckily you can go and see it at our women's agenda where we've got a piece and the video shared so go do that <laughs> so on to our next story Tyler okay so next we wanted to to discuss something a little different and more career-centric, which is imposter syndrome. And it is that topic that everyone, you know, has something to say about. And we certainly had something to say about it at a team lunch on Monday when we discussed the idea and whether we felt it, whether it's real or not. And in digging around on the latest on imposter syndrome, we came across a discussion of it on Psychology Today, um, which highlighted the role that social media plays in it. And the idea is that if you're already comparing yourself to others in your immediate environment and that triggers imposter syndrome, what then happens is that it's amplified. And the author here is uh, clinical counsellor Wendy Boring Bray, um, and she notes that if you think about who you follow on social media, you're likely to follow those you aspire to or people who are in your field or area that you're working in. So as an aspiring author, for instance, um, we'll follow successful writers. As an entrepreneur, we'll follow successful entrepreneurs. You'll see their success, which can then trigger feelings of fraudulency uh, in yourself. So that, that can almost spur on that feeling of imposter syndrome, which kind of goes against the you know, what we're kind of told that, that we should really be following um, like-minded individuals to gain inspiration and um, I guess motivation in the work that we're doing. And I think that there's obviously that element to it. I don't want to, you know, squash that, but I think that this is an interesting perspective to, to think that, you know, imposter syndrome can actually be triggered in the same way that, you know, we, we know that um, issues around body positivity, body dysmorphia, um, like come about when we're looking at, you know, friends or, or people we know on holiday in bikinis and things like that. You know, we're, we're, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others, which can be unhealthy. Um, so 
I think that this is an interesting point of view and one that should probably be taken further. Um, Ange, what are your thoughts here? Do you suffer from imposter syndrome? Um, do I? I don't know how to. I mean, I've heard people really confidently just say uh, no, <laughs> which I love hearing. I would feel odd to say that. I find, like, I've written about imposter syndrome. I've followed a lot of the research on it. I've heard really great advice. Shivani Kapow, who's like, does things with us, she does a, a great job of um, sharing advice around uh, imposter syndrome. And, you know, I've certainly felt that, oh, God, is everyone sort of looking at me because uh, I don't know what's going on. And, you know, you, you do have those feelings. But then at the same time, I've kind of come to feel like that's actually a good thing. Like, it's that whole sense of if you're, if you know what you should be doing, or if you're like the smartest person in the room, then maybe you should be in a different room or maybe you should be doing, you know, something else that's actually going to stretch you and challenge you and that it can actually be a good thing to have that uh, bit of imposter syndrome at that moment because it might kind of spur you on to to kind of meet the moment and meet the challenge. And I sort of think if people mm. are not feeling any imposter syndrome, then maybe the issue is more with them. If you're feeling way too much confidence and then maybe it should be, well, uh, like uh, maybe I've got to look to the fact that I could be learning more from the people around me or um, feeling like maybe they've got it happening more so than than me. I don't know. I'm feeling a little bit yeah. lost in this. And we also have this sort of narrative that women feel imposter syndrome more than men. I don't know. Maybe we talk about it more than men. Maybe we are more comfortable mm. sharing the fact that we feel it more than men. Um, also, there's the fact that often women will be find themselves as the only woman in a room or they might find themselves doing things for the first time or pursuing things that they've long been told they shouldn't be doing. Um and, you know, that might be contributing to this idea of mm, imposter syndrome mm. also. But then I think I think as well that we have to be a little bit conscious, and I've actually thought about this a little bit over the last couple of days because we did talk about it at that team lunch, and I think my opinion at that team lunch is, yes, I've absolutely felt imposter syndrome before and, you know, I, I um, have felt like I'm out of place or not taken seriously. But I also wonder whether or not we are too freely using those terms so or confusing imposter syndrome I guess for nervousness and I think being nervous around challenges at work or meeting high profile people or you know being in uncomfortable experiences is okay like it doesn't mean that you're not meant to be there and I think that goes to your point as well around mm. the fact that like you know showing nerves is actually just a sign that you're showing humanity. Like you're yeah. you're showing the fact that you are you are a vulnerable human, and you're interested in what they're doing. Like you you want to be there. That that that's what nerves show to me as well. Yeah, mm. totally. So I think I think that women potentially you know use those words or those terms interchangeably too much, and they don't convey the same thing because when you say that you're you are suffering from imposter syndrome you're almost insinuating that there's a reason um that you're not meant to be there uh that you 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 know that you know um that you're going to be outed and and I don't think that that's the case I think there are so many very talented women who feel nervous and feel you know the the gravity of some of the situations they're in at work and want to do a good job um, and care about that and care about the way that they're perceived. But these are no bad things. Like that's that's a great thing to feel like that really. And I, and I think 
ultimately that that leads to the best leaders. Mm-hmm. I think I oscillate pretty wildly <laughs> between feeling very nervous and feeling out of place and then equally other times I just look around and I'm like, my God, there are so many incompetent people in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. So I think that, that's, that- my, that's my other feeling is like, oh, my God, I'm actually – doing a good job like I can communicate this idea in such a better way than that person <laughs> or like you know so I definitely oscillate wildly between feeling very smug <laughs> and then feeling uh distinctly opposite to that so yeah. um and I I think again that just you know is probably a testament to the fact that I'm a human <laughs> and that's that's really fine too and maybe we should just be encouraging the fact that people feel differently at different times. And, um, you know, I, I went into a meeting this week and I just, I did, I felt so, so nervous about it because it was high stakes in my brain and I really wanted it to go well. And, um, you know, like, I'm sure that it was, my nerves were visible to the people I was talking to, but do I think that they, you know, looked at me and thought she's out of her depth? No, not really. Like, Mm. you know, I think that they probably just thought, she really gives a shit about what she's trying to pitch to us. Yeah. And the thing is that a lot of people are also feeling out of their depth as well. Like in that same meeting, it could have been that everyone there was feeling out of their depth. Like that is, we we can often feel that we're the only one feeling like that, but actually it could be more than we think. Even people who are really outwardly confident, you don't know what's going on or what they're, you know, really, really trying to to mask or what they're really feeling inside. So it's, it's kind of, it, it, it's one of those things where I always like to think that, you know, most people, let's just go, everyone feels like an imposter at certain points. I also feel like as, I, as I've gotten older and I'm now at the point where I say that, which, uh, yeah, is sort of imposterish in itself, I don't know, but like that you also kind of learn what you're good at and you start to feel more okay with what you're not good at I think so there is that sort of sense too it's like okay I'm going to feel like a bit of a fraud and maybe I'm not really supposed to be in this sort of metaphorical room over here but I know that I can smash it in that room over there so you know you know your weaknesses and strengths a little bit better as you get to know yourself and and see how you go in workplace environments but um Ultimately, I, I just always think like just a lot of people are feeling that way. That that was some of the best advice I ever had was that m- most people are feeling like this. If they're not, then maybe, you know, they could do with feeling a little bit of that because it's a good thing to have, like you say, a little bit of nerves. It's a good thing to feel like you've still got things to learn. I think ultimately, you know, if you think like that, that's when we end up with people like Scott Morrison and, uh, you yeah. know, no one, no one needs that. Yeah. Yeah. Always remember all those leaders who got to their places and all the things that they've done and the things that they couldn't do and ask yourself, how did they get there? Because at various points, they were this type of fraud slash imposter and somehow they were just better at masking it than others. And with that, we should get to our final thoughts. Any final thoughts, Tyler? My only final thoughts for this week are that I am really desperate to get to the Barbie movie. (laughs) and we've written a couple of pieces this week on it. Jessie too will be writing on it today. She just went to it last night and she absolutely loved it. So I'm really interested to see how she she kind of, um, you know, peels that back in an article. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm really desperate to go see it. I don't know when that's going to actually happen for me given, you know. Probably when it ends up children. on a streaming service somewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe in like six years' time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit sad at the moment. I can't actually remember the last time I went to a movie. 
I think the last time I went to a movie in all seriousness was Greta Gerwig's last movie, which was Little Women. And that was, what, two or three years ago? Probably longer. Anyway, that says quite a lot. But I am desperate to go to the Barbie movie. Looks awesome. Love Ryan Gosling. Love Margot Robbie. Ange, what are your thoughts? Uh, oh, yeah, my final thought was going to be similar. I, I, I was asked the question over the weekend by my nephew, uh, which I would see first. Would I see Barbie or Oppenheimer first? And I think his preference was for the latter. Um, and it got me thinking because they do come out, I think, both today, so on the same day. And I was like, imagine if you went and saw two movies on the same day. And I can tell you there was a point in my life where I did that. I remember I was like heavily <laughs> overdue with my first child and I walked up to my local Dendi and I saw a movie and I smiled smashed my own popcorn by myself while everyone else was at work because I'd just started my um, parental leave. And then I walked out of the theatre and I went back in again and smashed another thing of popcorn and watched a second movie. And I think that was the last time I actually saw adult movies, which was like 10 years ago. So I had this like final thought of indulgence, like, you know, would that be the ultimate indulgence? Like first the fact that it would cost me, you know, uh, you know a small mortgage to be able to afford to do that at a mainstream cinema these days. But also imagine taking that much time out to yourself and that many hours to spend watching a couple of movies. That would be so awesome. Um, and then I thought I could probably take my kids to see Barbie, which I will do. Yay. Yay. Lisa at an age where they won't just, you know, yell and poo on the seats. Well, I mean, so it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> that is us for uh, this week. Thank you for listening. A reminder, you can catch up on all the stories that we discussed at womensagenda.com.au and where you can also subscribe to our lunchtime newsletter and get the stories as they are breaking, including all the latest on the World Cup and all the latest on these movies that we're discussing and much more. Thank you for listening. <laughs>